Fred Rachani of the Sports Courier Podcast. I have right here on the line a very special guest. He is a multi-time karate champion. He is a former WCW and WWE superstar, former WWE announcer, even starred in the award-winning film The Wrestler. Some would say he's even the greatest commissioner of all time, and he was even endorsed by the legendary James Brown. I'm talking about Ernest the Cat Miller. Mr. Miller, how's it going? Man, it's gone great. Great, man. This is a great time of the year. And before we get to your illustrious career in martial arts and pro wrestling, as well as acting and stunt work, a lot of people are wondering what you've been up to lately. Well, martial arts. You know, I, I, I kind of came from martial arts, and uh, once I got away from wrestling a little bit, I went back to doing martial arts, training, teaching kids, uh, competing, you know, uh, it's all about martial arts now for me. That's great. And from what I understand, too, and I did a, li- a little bit of Google research. I don't know how accurate this is on cagematch.net, but looks like you had a couple matches this year in the ring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did a couple of uh, tournament-style fighting, uh, which was pretty good. I still got it. So, you know, it was good and fun to be back out there doing it. Yeah, now a lot of people probably know you best either from WCW, where you called yourself the greatest cry champion of all time, or in WWE uh, during that run as well as an announcer and as a wrestler. I'm just curious because before you got into pro wrestling, you did have this decorated martial arts background, which you still have to this day. Uh, what came first in your life? What, was it a love for pro wrestling, or was martial arts what you really got started with at a young age? You know, I got started at karate taking classes when I was about 12 years old and I, 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 you know, I I was a wrestling fan then, but I wasn't inspired to be a wrestler. You know, it was more just my grandfather was a big wrestling fan. So I used to watch it with him. Once once I got into martial arts, you know, that kind of took up a lot of my time and dedication and, you know, uh, I just became a full fledged martial artist. And was there anybody that caught your attention as a kid, as a pro wrestler, anybody that was one of your favorites? You know what? I had a few of them, you know, uh, Ernie, Ernie the Cat Lad, Thunderbolt Patterson, Dusty Rose, uh, Ox Baker. You know, I was always a fan of that heel type kind of guy. Yeah, and from what I understand, too, and of course Wikipedia never lies when I was doing some research, you were also a standout football player, right? Yeah, yeah, All-American, college All-American linebacker. You know, I tried out with a couple of teams, New York Jets, Atlanta Falcons, New England Patriots. You know, so, uh, yeah, I was pretty active there growing up, come to think of it. So when did you get to the point in your young life when you realized, hey, you know what, I'm different from these other kids, I'm at another level, and especially when it came to martial arts, I can pursue this at a higher level? You know what? Growing up in the neighborhood that I grew up with, which was, you know, um, it, it was middle class. You know, uh, it, it was like, you know, we didn't want for anything. But I kind of, once I took on that uh, persona of being a martial artist, I took on the persona for real, you know. And that I think that made me feel like I was a little different from everybody who didn't take martial arts. Because at the time, martial arts was thought to be something to help you focus, respectful, you know, and, uh, you know, it helped you as a kid to get through, helped me as a kid to get through a lot of stuff to be, the, be a martial artist. 
And, and martial arts is a pretty broad term. From what I understand, you did you were very successful at karate, but you also competed for the IKSA, right, in kickboxing? Yes, I won the, uh, yeah, ISKA kickboxing. I did that. But, you know, that was out of my football career. I think I was about 24, 23, 24, and then I, I fought a couple of fights and uh, became an ISKA heavyweight kickboxing champion. And then, you know, I went back in because there wasn't a lot of money into that. So, you know, you train for six months and you get paid peanuts compared to what these guys are getting paid today. So I decided, you know, I can go back into karate, do a sports karate tournament, and I can kind of, you know, get paid from the tournament, get paid to teach. So I went back into full-fledged teaching karate. If MMA and kickboxing... Whereas Big Dan, as it is now, especially with, I think, kickboxing is kind of a pretty underrated sport in North America. I mean, Glory is doing, you know, very well uh, internationally. Would that have been an option you would have pursued? You know what? When, when I first got into pro wrestling, that was the thing. You know, they wanted to create a, create a identity using me as a martial artist that can grapple, wrestle, can do it all, you know, so they were really tinkling on the on the on the verge of uh creating what we call now mixed martial arts. So they said we'll bring this karate guy in, we'll teach him how to wrestle, working with the we'll build his name, and then we'll send him over to Japan and, and this guy's a shooter so he can fight anybody over there. That's what my that was the, my call to uh WCW was all about just to get me in, get my name known, and uh, get me into mixed martial arts. After you got into wrestling, were there ever any inclinations to maybe try out for Pride or, or do anything with, with K1? Because they had a pretty big crossover when it came to professional wrestling and shooters. They, they, they did, but, you know, they wanted me to do it, but WCW at the time didn't think it was beneficial for me or for them you know, to send me over there to do it because all they wanted me to do is lose to their guys. The K-1 guys wanted me to come in and lose to their guys. But at that time, I was seeing it be doing pretty good, you know, with uh, WCW. Yeah, honestly, in retrospect, I think it might have been been a smart move anyway because you look at what happened with Yuji Nagata and some of those other New Japan guys that, that, that went in pride over the years. I mean, they got completely mismatched with people. You know, not not saying they well, worked the fights, well, but I mean, well, yeah. You know, with the, with the type of fight I was, it would have been hard to, I know people probably said, it would have been hard to have me mix match with anybody, mm-hmm. or a bad matchup with anybody. Because with my style of fighting, I was a karate guy who was very athletic, explosive, a good, a good wrestler, a good judo takedown guy. So I really, you know, I've been skilled in a lot of different uh, styles of, of martial arts. So it was like I was really, really handpicked for it, you know. So, you know, it, it was just no money in it, you know. And people got a, a noticeable name, but it wasn't any money in it. Right. And I'm not sure how much you followed uh, UFC in recent years, but I feel like while there's a lot of fighters there's very few quote-unquote martial artists. And the, the few that come to mind for me, particularly with a, a karate background, are uh, George St. Pierre, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, and Loyola Machida, who just recently made his Bellator MMA debut after a number of years uh, in the UFC. Do you get a kick out of seeing guys like that 
that are, that are kind of like a, a throwback to the original martial artists as opposed to just dudes that happen to be good at fighting and, and taking people down? It's, I like seeing the, the dynamics. You know, I like seeing the differences in the in the in the different styles. You know, I can watch a guy and kind of tell where their foundation come from in martial arts. But to see karate guys out there like Steven Steven Wonderboy, he fought in tournament circuits, so I know where this guy come from. So it's good to see how you know you mix the two. You know, so it is kind of amazing to me in a way. You there mixing the two now. You actually really have what I call legit karate guys in there. You mentioned that WCW is actually where you got your start, not just as far as a big break in pro wrestling, but where you literally started in pro wrestling. Now, as the old story goes, I don't know how true this is, you actually taught Eric Bischoff's son Garrett karate, and from that point you kind of formed a relationship with Eric Bischoff, a friendship, and that led to you going to WCW. Is that true? No, not not really. It wasn't totally like that. <clears throat> Garrett Bischoff just happened to be one of my students. And one day, Eric used to, like any other parent, they bring their kids up. Sometimes they leave them. Sometimes they stay around and watch the class. And this just happened to be a day that uh, I didn't even know Eric Bischoff because Eric, Eric Bischoff's wife used to bring Garrett in all the time. You know, because Eric was traveling the first year so much harder. And he never said anything about his father being Eric Bischoff. So, so what happened was, uh, Eric came one day. There was sparring day. It was day that I was teaching the kids how to spar and how to compete and fight and do all the tournament stuff. And I decided to put the gloves on with the kids. And uh, you know, after Eric watched me a few times in the ring, he just said, "Man, you. I mean, you super." And, and, and he didn't right away offer me a job. What Eric decided to do was the next week, he came in to open fight night with all our black belts. And he brought his black belt in D2, and he decided to spar with all the black belts. And then when he got to me, you know, we, we sparred around, and, and I guess he could tell from there this guy totally different from any other black belt because he was a pretty good fighter at that time. So Eric Bischoff, oh. back, in the Eric Bischoff back in the day, it's funny because when he was in B, everybody kind of poked fun at his karate background, but you're saying back then Eric Bischoff was actually the real deal when it came to karate. Eric, I don't usually give people credit like this unless it's due. Eric Bischoff's a legitimate badass, and he can, I don't know if he could do it now, but at that time, I fought a lot of guys. I've been getting matched with a lot of different karate and martial arts. I've had guys that come up. You know, my, my background go all the way back to when I was like 14 or 15. I would see a karate school anywhere, somewhere I've never been before. I would go in, and if they were sparring and having a fight night at 13 or 14, I would challenge the teachers. I went into this one school, and they were sparring. And uh, it was so funny. My father stopped off at a grocery store, and he usually, like, be my brother and I in the car so we can sit and rain. But I saw this karate school across the street. So when my father went in the store, I got out the car, dashed across the street, went into the karate school, and at that time I walked in, they were sparring. They had a couple of students there being taught by this teacher and sensei, and I came in, I bowed, watched for a little while, then I asked him, can I spar with him? And he said, yes, you got in the gear. I said, no, I didn't bring my gear. 
with jeans on, no karate suit, with jeans and a T-shirt on. He said, okay, I'll give you some gear. Who do you want to spar? I swear to God, he told me, I will spar you, the teacher. He was like, you sure? I said, yeah. And I will fight with teachers at 13 or 14 years old like that. And uh, it wasn't a disrespectful thing because I was showing him a lot of respect, but I just wanted to go from the top and work my way down. Why go in and work my way up? So that was a strange, you know, my brother and I laugh about it all the time. My father just said, if we went anywhere with him and I would miss him when he got back to the car, he said he would look around and see if there was a karate school around anywhere because he knew I would get out the car and go over to the karate. I would be at that karate school. Damn it. So you were pretty fearless even back then. I, I was fearless back then. So but so when, when, when the day came that Eric Bischoff came in, you know, I kind of paid a little attention to it because we have had other black belts come in before, and we had a pretty good uh, a, a good handful of black belts that was really badass and and young and could fight. But Eric Bischoff was picking them all one by one as he came down the line. He was picking them all one by one, kicking asses and everything. And I looked at it and I said, this guy looked pretty good. So when Eric Bischoff stepped in the ring with me in front of me, you know, he came at me, and Nathan, you know, I hit him with a couple of kicks, you know, and uh, he kind of slowed down a little bit. And the only thing brought me to my, came to my attention was I heard this voice saying, come on, Dad, come on, Dad. You can do it, Dad. And it was a voice that I recognized that usually cheered for me, and it was Garrett cheering for his father. So I kind of recognized where I were at that time, you know, and I said, oh, okay, I'm fine. So instead of trying to put the beat the brakes off of some kid father that I respect, I started doing something which was a little bit more entertaining. Eric would try to sweep my feet, and I could do like flip. I could do like the no-hand flip, so I flip out the way. He'll roll over and do a, throw a kick at my leg. I give him my leg, he'll grab my leg, and then I flip over. So I started dodging him and playing the little game with him, then throwing my kicks over his head, you know, so it wouldn't hurt him. And uh, after it was over, I remember Eric being back in the locker room getting dressed, and I came back there, and Eric looked at me, and he said, thanks for not taking my head off, cause I said, no, you pretty good. He said, no, but I'm no match for you. He said, I knew you could took my head off anytime you wanted to. And I said, yeah, but, you know, I'm not that kind of person to, to take advantage of people like that, you know. He just said, man, you're a really talented, athletic guy, man. He said, I'd love to have you on my show. And I didn't even know what show he was talking about. So I said, on oh, what show? He said, pro wrestling. And I kind of giggled, and I said, well, listen, Eric, I would love to be on your show or something like that, but what I do is real. You know, I thought of pro wrestling as being fake. I said, but what I do is real. I don't know if I can tone down what I do enough to be able to work with guys that, you know, not really getting hit. And he just said, you know, I can send you to the school and, and get you ready for it. And, you know, we I can make you a wealthy man. And, you know, and uh, I said, let me think about it. It took about a year to where I finally said, you know, okay, I'm ready. After I, after I graduated all my kids, black belt to black belt, I told about a year later, I said, I'm ready to come in and see if I like it, see if I can do it. And you ended up in WCW. You got to the power plant. 
you, you've done martial arts training. Of, of course, you were you were an all American oh, in football. Oh, speaking speaking that power plant, my it took every piece of my martial arts career and life and style to get through. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. <clears throat> I tell people it was harder than two a day football practices. It was harder than in a black belt test I have taken. That power plant with Sarge was were grueling. I mean, it was so hard that I've seen guys just pack up and leave during the middle of the thing. So, yes, when you say I made it through, that, that's an accomplishment for me because I did make it through. Wow. And, and, look, think, and looking back, too, I mean, Sarge, you know, for better or worse, you know, he, he graduated a lot of students, but he also got a lot of criticism back in the day because a lot of people said, okay, well, it's great that they're breaking these people down and seeing who's right for the wrestling business or not. But, you know, he did run off a lot of guys, too. You know, some that ended up becoming stars like Batista. So looking back some 20-something years later, I mean, it was great that you got through it. But, but as a guy that's succeeded in athletics yourself and trained people yourself, do you think they could have tweaked a few things to make it an even more successful school? You know what? I, I think pro wrestling then, to me, was just blossoming. They were just coming out of this shell. Everything they were doing was like ground floor. You know, they did not know that in this school you can, instead of breaking guys down, you can develop guys. You know, cause it was no development. You think, you know, people don't understand. When I got over, and when people said Ernest Miller got over in WCW, I had never did a house show. I had never did a... a a wrestling match, I came straight in of karate, and I had to learn on the run at the highest level of the business. So, you know, people look at me and say, well, you got over a little bit. I said, can you imagine if I had, like, a background of indie shows and all this stuff before I came into the WCW? I said, I didn't. I had to compete with some of the most talented guys in the business at a time to where... You know, it will go make you or break you. You know, I saw guys come in that look good, talk good. Everything was great about them, but they just couldn't get over with the crowd. You know, and I started noticing, you know, they just can't get a character that get them over. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so you, uh, I mean, I mean, you really did get over though. And it's funny because while you do have a legit martial arts background, athletic background, and everything. You actually got over for something that maybe people on the surface wouldn't think about when you're talking about a karate champion, which was your gift to gab. You know, this is what this is what happened. So <clears throat> I know that when I first came out, I was doing some incredible stuff, man. I was doing kicks, spinning kicks, stuff that make people who knew karate made people say, Oh my goodness, I can't believe he hit somebody with that. This was stuff I would do in the ring when I was fighting. I'd jump up and do a 360 kick and take somebody's head off. And that's what people used to like about me in full contact karate, that I would do that, not practicing, but right in the middle of a, a round. When a guy, I would hit him with some crazy cockwheel. I would do a cockwheel kick in the middle of the third round fight, fighting the best, one of the best fighters in kickboxing. But what I noticed, People that knew karate knew how special those techniques were. But people in the wrestling business didn't give a damn about that stuff. 
You know, they didn't give a damn about saying somebody do a cartwheel kick because they were seeing grown men fall from the top of railings and body slam you and break through tables. So I got in my head saying, instead of doing all this stuff, what they want to see, they want to see a fool out here. They want to see somebody who is just a do anything. So that's why I came up with the idea. I talked so much like I'm the greatest. Even when I, I heard them tell somebody, told Harlem Heat one time, said one good thing about Harlem Heat is when they lose, the next time you see them, they walk in like they're a winner. Or when Rick Flair lose a match, he come right in the next time like he's the greatest in the world. So I came up with the character that started saying, you know what? When I lose, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell everybody I want. Cause, you know, it's, it's kind of fun when people go follow the show and they're going to know he just got beat last week. Why did he come out and say that he's the baddest man in the world? Because a bad man thinks that he's a bad man even when he knows he's not. And to be, and that gave me more to talk about and more to do, you know, in the ring that would entertain people. And you were pretty damn entertaining. Now, it's funny, you mentioned how you kind of quickly realized you got to do something different other than martial arts. Uh, I don't know how much you keep in touch with him, but, but a guy who's a, a friend of the show, Ray Lloyd Glacier, another guy with a with great athletic background, but he kind whoa, of... Whoa, 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 let me, let me break this down to you. You probably had people who was martial artists that fought in the UFC. That's good enough. You had people who, were, who took a couple of karate class, who became great wrestlers. But there's nobody ever going to be in the level of martial arts that I was on. Mm -hmm. I was highly decorated, you know, when it comes to awards and black belts. Even when I was 15, I was, you know, they did a whole story about me teaching young kids and teaching people karate at 13 or 15 years old because I had my black belt when I started around about, like I said, about 10, 11. I got my black belt real because I went to class every day. So you can't really compete. You can't really compare me and Glacier together. Oh no! What I'm, what I'm trying to no. What I'm trying to say is you obviously have an amazing no, background. I, admit, yeah. I, know, I know what you did. I, don't, I know what you were trying to say. <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to say, but I know what I heard. There's no way you can compare me to anybody or any martial artist that ever been a pro wrestler. Because I've been. I'm the best of the best. For sure. No, what I, no, what I, what I was trying to say. Yeah. No, I hear you, man. I hear you. No, what I was trying to say is that there's other people that have come back. Come from I'm our telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, if you was anywhere near me and you had said that, I would have kicked you in your damn neck. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, you not me? doing that. Okay. And don't you ever use, don't you ever compare me to anybody else in, in, in wrestling when it comes to martial arts. You say he's the greatest. All right. You hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, I like that. See, that's how I switch it on and switch it on real fast. You know? <laughs> okay, I don't know if he's real or if he's if he's uh, if he's angry or if he's just playing. Hey, that, hey, hey, that's good, man. That's a, that's a, that's some good stuff. No, I was <laughs> no, I was trying to say is that there are people from other athletic backgrounds, perhaps no, not as great as Ernest the Cat Miller, that that have come in that were also you know Howie Harold did and whatnot, and they never clicked with the fans like you did. And the reason I brought up a guy like Glacier, like Dan Severn, is because guys like that were highly touted as well, coming in, blah, blah, blah. And on paper, you think, okay, this guy is quote-unquote real. He should be able to get over. But they didn't. And you did because not only did you have the legit background and a great martial arts background, as you talked about, 
but you you it ended up clicking for you that you said, hey, I need to do something different other than this shooter gimmick. And, and, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it was hard for me to do that. You know, as a fighter, when you go on 10 rounds, I've been 10 rounds with guys. I've fought long fights before with guys. I've been hurt in the ring. And the first thing your corner guys tell you when you're tired, don't show them, don't show the people, don't show the, the other fighter that you're tired. When you hurt, don't let them know. You smile at them when you hurt. You don't look at them and let them see the pain that you're in right now because then you become like dead meat. Now they just going to come out to you when they see you're tired, when they see that they got you hurt. So I, I kind of understood that. So in wrestling, you're supposed to show pain when you're not pain, when there's no pain there. You got to show you're tired when you're really not tired. So it was a lot of, it's a lot of things that you had to flip. You know, you had to flip it over. You had to flip-flop and, and kind of, you know, kind of show show a side of you that you, you're not supposed to show. And I was able to do that. I came to grips with that. That's how I would do And, you know, I'm going to tell you something, too. A lot of people didn't understand. Goldberg got in the business. Goldberg got over. Goldberg had to beat everybody in the damn business. I did not have to go out there to beat somebody to get over. I let, they never put a belt on me to get over. They never put a belt on me, never. But I still got over. I got over enough to hug Hogan, said in the office to Eric Bischoff, the cat is over. He need to win the belt for me and let me chase him to get it back. That's how over I was at one time as a heel. But I'm going to tell you another story. Well, wait, hey, 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 before, before, hang on, hang on, hang on, Ernest, before you tell me another story, you, I think you just dropped something, a story I never heard about. So, hang on. You just said that you fe- that Hulk Hogan felt you were over enough, this was back maybe, what, 97, 98, 99, that he wanted to feud with you and drop the WCW title to you and chase you for the world title. When, when Hulk Hogan had the belt, whatever year that was, that it might have been the NWO, and it might have been at the end when that transition was coming. Hogan, Eric Bischoff was still in there because he told Eric, he said, I need to drop the belt to Cat, you know, because he's over right now. He's way over. I need to drop the belt to him some wow. kind of way. They had to chase him to get it back. And Eric Bischoff said no to the thing because the reason he said no to it was because he did not want me to get the belt for one week. He wanted me to get the belt and keep it for a whole pay-per-view, at least for a while. So he said, let's not do it yet like that. Wow. So that's, so, the, whole, that's so that, the whole reason they do it. it so so that would have been the time. That would have been late 97 then. Because I'm thinking, like, that was around the time, like, Lex Luger beat Hulk on a random Nitro, like, a week before a pay-per-view. He only held the title for a week, and they lost it back. So I'm guessing it was probably around that time. Yes, yes, yes. So, I mean... Let me tell you, I was, I was over, man. I don't, I don't know if people remember that, but I was over. All they had to do was hit my music, and the crowd go crazy. You know, and the, and, uh, uh, the next story was I remember Jeff Jarrett was our, was our uh, champion. I think Vince Russo was in there, and I was the commissioner. So they were really pushing to get Jeff over. I don't think he was over as, as much as they wanted to wanted to be, you know? So I went out 
they put together the match, and Jeff Jarrett, I was going to announce the match as the commissioner. And uh, now Jeff Jarrett was going to announce the match himself, that he was going to fight somebody that night. And the crowd didn't respond to it. So Vince Russo said, Cat, go out to the ring where Jeff Jarrett's in there and to announce the same match right now. I said, but he's in the ring. He said, go out there. So I hit the curve. The crowd went crazy. You know, I announced that, you know, Jeff Jarrett was going to be facing whoever they, he was facing that night. And the crowd went crazy because he said we wasn't getting a lot of heat when Jeff Jarrett was at that On the next episode of the Sports Courier podcast, we continue our interview with Ernest the Cat Miller, who talks about working with the legendary James Brown and why his WB run was not up to expectations. Until then, folks, subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and all major podcast sites. And as always, enjoy the matches.